All right, well, good, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Awesome, yeah. Hey, I want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel Church. Hope you guys are all doing excellent. And before we get ready to get started, I wanted to just take a minute, and I wanted to welcome all of our first-time guests here today. If you're a first-time guest, maybe you were invited by somebody, or maybe a family member or a friend that said, you've got to come check out my church. It is absolutely an incredible and awesome church. We've got a fantastic uh, family ministries program. The people there, they're friendly. We've got incredible worship. You just had a chance to experience that. We hope you love that. But they most likely also told you about the senior pastor here whose name is Danny. And they probably said, you got to just come and hear him just one time and you will love him. He is energetic. He's practical. He's relevant. Uh, they probably described him uh, to you as being tall, being young, uh, wearing skinny jeans, <laughs> wearing Ray-Ban glasses. Well, let me tell you this. If you're here because a friend invited you and they're sitting next to you, let me tell you, on the inside right now, your friend is freaking out. <laughs> And they're getting ready to lean over right now and tell you, but they don't have to because you've already put two and two together. You've already figured out, based on their description of Danny, that I'm not, well, you know, wearing glasses. So, <laughs> Hey, listen, uh, Danny's not here today. He's actually on vacation this week. Uh, he's going to be back this coming weekend, and I promise you, if you're a first-time guest, what your friend told you is absolutely true. If you will just come and hear him one time, I guarantee you're going to love them and you're going to want to come back again. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to please come back again next weekend and try us out again. In the meantime, my name is Bill Miller, and I'm actually the campus pastor at our Banta campus. Uh, my wife, Andrea, and I, we've been up there for a couple years, and it has been incredible for us to see what God's been doing up there at that campus. They're on a relentless pursuit up there, and every week they're inviting their friends and family, and every week... We're seeing people come to Christ and then grow in Christ. And so it's been exciting as we see what God's doing in that community through that campus, and so that's been fun. We are really looking forward also to see what God's going to do in the Franklin campus when he launches that. And God is doing incredible things here at Emmanuel, so it's exciting to be a part of that. Well, what we're going to do today, we're going to be continuing on with week two of our series that we kicked off last week called The Power of Questions. Last week, Danny started the started this series by telling us that it's important for us to ask questions because here's what questions do. Questions are powerful when they're framed correctly. Questions can be really powerful when they're framed correctly. And here's the reason why. Do you guys remember? Last week we said that they do two things. Number one, they reveal values. They kind of expose the priorities of our heart and our life, don't they? And so they, the great questions, powerful questions reveal values. Here's, here's what else they do. The second thing is, a powerful question framed correctly is going to help us to think differently. And we said, and we understand this, that in order for life change to take place, something has to happen in the way that we think. And so that's why we're going to be asking these powerful questions. Now, last week, we asked the question of what would a great friend do? Kind of walk through the story of Jonathan and Saul. This week, we're going to be continuing on with a powerful question, and we're going to be talking about parenting. And so I'm just kind of curious as we start, how many of you would love to raise great kids? And I'm talking like kids that are over the top kind of kids, the kind of kids that love God, love their spouse, love their family, kids that are full of character and integrity, and they, have, they are responsible. You know, they're able to get a job. They're able to hold a job. Then when it's time for them to move out of the house, they can leave. Yeah. <laughs> And then we don't have to worry about them coming back with a whole bunch of little loved ones of them. So that's, that's what we want. We all want to be able to raise great kids. Well, we're going to be talking about that today. What kind of a parent do we need to be to raise great kids? And so as we start, I just need to do this. I need to really give you guys a disclaimer. Here's what's interesting, and I think it's a little bit funny and ironic that I get to give this talk today. I actually didn't start my parenting journey until I was 39 years old. And that was really, for me, that was intentional and it was by design. Here's why. When I looked out and I saw you parents out there in the, in the public place with your children, what I saw, what I saw was parents and adults 
who were stressed out, you had a lack of joy, you had a lack of peace, and parents, do you know where I'm going with this next one? You had a definite lack of, some said sleep, that's close. (laughs) It didn't bother me back then, it was all about money. You guys had a definite lack of money. And so for me, when I looked at you, I said, that is the deal breaker for me. And here's the reason why. See, I didn't become a Christian until I was 35. And so up until that point, it really was. I was just self-centered. I was focused on myself. And so if I was going to spend any money on, at, any, at all, it was always going to be on myself. Well, what happened is once I became a Christian, my goals changed, my focus changed, my priorities changed. and I really wanted to start living for God. And so I started coming to church. And about uh, probably three years after I became a Christian, I wound up coming here to Emmanuel. And this is where I had a chance to meet a beautiful Christian single mom by the name of Andrea. And she had a son uh, who was seven years old, and his name was Jordan. Well, we dated, we got engaged, and a year later, we got married. And so here's what's interesting. Here's a picture, yeah. Here's a picture of us on our wedding day. (laughs) Yeah. You probably like it because here's the deal. That was 21 years ago. And listen, that was the hairstyle that Don Johnson was wearing. So, (laughs) yeah, you can see by looking at Andrea Andrea and Jordan why I would have been excited to step into their lives and be a part of their family. And so uh, what's, what's interesting about me being up here today is the fact that not all of us come from the same background and have the same family experience as the other person. When I grew up, I grew up in a traditional family, what we would call a traditional family today. That was kind of the basic, that was the Ozzy and Harriet type of family. And so maybe it was, uh, for me, it was, you know, my dad got up, he went to work and he worked hard. Uh, My mom, she stayed at home and she worked twice as hard. There was us children, we studied and studied and studied and then uh, came home with straight C's. That was really, that was a win for us and our family. And so what's interesting is when we think about the traditional family today, it's kind of changed. I was reading this last week that uh, there was a report that said up to 40% of the people that come through the doors of our church today are coming from or they're in a blended family. And so that just means that maybe there's people, there's some of you here today, there's a a small majority that maybe you're in a second marriage or you're in a third marriage. Uh, Perhaps you're doing some single parenting. Uh, Maybe you have a foster home or even... Perhaps you're a grandparent who, for some reason, you've had to step back into the lives of your children and help to raise the grandchildren. Or maybe an aunt and uncle having to have an influence in that. And so we don't all come, we don't all look the same. And in fact, here's the way that the Bible would describe it. I love that the Bible deals with this tension. Here's what the Bible does. It always presents for us, in the Bible, the ideal is always presented against the backdrop of reality. It always tells us, here's God's standard but then it helps us to deal with the reality of life. When I started uh, thinking about putting this talk together, I thought, okay, it would be great if I could find some fantastic examples in the Bible of some parenting. And so I thought, how about we do this? I'm just gonna go back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. I mean, they were as close to perfection as you possibly could get. Now, as I was thinking about them, I just wonder if you as a parent, if you've ever had this experience where You've told your child no, and they've come back to you and they said, thanks a lot, mom and dad. You have ruined my life. And we kind of look at them and go, well, that certainly seems like an unfair accusation. Well, can you imagine Adam and Eve, if their children came to them and said that? How would they respond? I mean, actually, quite literally, they didn't have a leg to stand on, and they would have to look at their children and say, well, uh, sweetheart, you know, uh, You're quite right. In fact, not only have we ruined your life, but we've ruined all of humanity's life. (laughs) So get over yourself. (laughs) So I thought, no, I can't use Adam and Eve. Well, last week we talked about about Jonathan being such a fantastic friend to David and his father was Saul. And I thought, maybe there's something in there about the way that Saul had spoken and raised uh, Jonathan. And then I remembered, you know, what we learned last week. How did they solve their family conflict? Yeah. Every time, Saul would pick up a spear 
and he'd fling it at, at Jonathan. I don't know, have you guys, anybody here with teenagers, have you ever thought about that? <laughs> I thought, no, no, I, I can't use that example. I'll get a phone call from CPS on Monday. So I said, <laughs> we won't do that. Then I thought, I got it. Here's the one I want to use. How about the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary? I mean, after all, God in heaven trusted them with the care of the Messiah. And I was reading through their story, and every year, as a Jewish person, you would leave and you would go to the Passover and you'd spend a week there or whatever it was. And so Joseph and Mary had actually gone to the Passover. They had finished their Passover and they were on their way home and they looked around. They'd been on the road. The Bible says they'd been on the road for a day and they looked around and there's no Jesus. They lost Jesus. They had to put an amber, they had to put an amber alert out for Jesus. <laughs> Unbelievable. In fact, it says that they had lost him for three days. I thought, you've you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? You lost the Son of God? <laughs> How do you do that? I can't wait to hear their explanation on Judgment Day. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. And so I love that. The, the, the Bible deals with those tensions, doesn't it? It sets us up and shows us what the ideal is, but it always helps us to walk through and deal with the reality. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through what the ideal is. We're going to deal with the reality when it comes to parenting. I really believe that no matter where you're at in this parenting journey for you, maybe you're, you're still single, you're getting ready to get married someday and start a family, or maybe you're in the middle of parenting right now, or perhaps you're a grandparent who's having to step in and still have some influence in your children and in your grandchildren's life. Wherever you're at, I promise, the three things I'm about to share with you are going to help you going from being just a good parent to being a great parent. And so the question that we're going to pose today, the powerful question we're going to ask is this. What would a great parent do? Let's agree on this up front, I think. We know what a good parent would do. A good parent's going to do this. They're going to love their children. They're going to provide for them. They're going to protect them. They're going to care for them. Uh, they're going to engage with them and spend quality time. And so all of these things that we can mention, this is just like parenting 101. This is just the basics. This is where we start at. And so, so the question is then, how do we go from just being a good parent to being a great parent? Here's what a great parent would do then. A great parent does this. A great parent would leave a legacy. If you're taking notes, a great parent would leave a legacy. Here's what I mean by that. A legacy is something that we value or that speaks of a priority in our life that we want to pass on to the next generation. And when we think about a legacy, many of us think about passing on an inheritance to our children. And so for us, maybe it's something that we've worked really hard to do. We've maybe worked hard and invested our time and energy and resources into building up a business where we could put our name over the top of the door. Or, or maybe we've worked really hard at building up a portfolio, maybe of properties or stocks, or we've collected art, or coins, or cars, or any number of things that, for us, in our mind, this speaks about uh, our identity and who we want, to, and we want our children to think about us when we pass it down to them. And so, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. We're going to see today that that's really the second best thing. That, that in the Bible that we're going to see that there's got to be something else that we're passing on that's got to be a greater priority than this kind of wealth. I don't know if you guys uh, have ever seen this show. Uh, it was on several years ago. Uh, it was called The Richest Kids in the World. And, and there's one episode that I caught. It was a, it was a story about a, a, a Saudi sheik um, whose son was getting ready to turn 13. And so what he did is he grabbed the family and all the friends and he put them onto a 740, his private 747. He flew him over to London, and that's where he grabbed a really exclusive hotel, and he rented out several floors to put everybody up. Uh, while he was there, uh, he also uh, had a private showing of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for them. And so this whole thing, this whole birthday party, wound up costing over a million dollars. I thought, you got to be absolutely insane. Well, while I'm watching this, I look over on the couch, and I see Jordan sitting there. And I start to feel a little bit guilty, and I think, how in the world am I supposed to compete with that? I mean, for crying out loud, all he ever got was Chuck E. Cheese. So <laughs> it kind of seemed like a ripoff. And as I'm watching that, I realize, you know, the things that we see on TV, 
the, the things that we see in the movies, uh, in entertainment, those are the things from culture that press in that really try to define the values for us as parents and as children. And so I realized that I really am, in many ways, I am actually competing against these outside influences that want to speak to the mind and the heart of my child, are trying to mold him and develop him into what they say a person should look like. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, one of the biggest areas that affects our children is from celebrities. Celebrities have a huge voice. They have a huge platform. Our kids look at them. They want to emulate them. They set them up as the kind of person they want to be. And as I was thinking about this talk, one of the people that's really popped up at the top of that level that hold that high, uh, that high platform of influence today is somebody by the name of Kanye West. And I thought, you know, he's got this platform that's speaking to young people. So this last week, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop in and I'm going to take a look at the lyrics of some of the music that he's putting out that our young people listen to. Yeah, I won't do that again, I can tell you. <laughs> but I thought, here's, here's the influence, here's what our children are hearing, and they look up to him and they go, we want to be like him. Here's what's great, I don't know if you guys heard this, a friend just told me, he said, that he's actually thinking about running for president in 2020. Yeah, okay. what a platform of influence, right? That means that if he's president, that means our first lady then would be Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Another person with a high platform of influence speaking into our children, trying to mold their hearts and minds. Well, then I thought, you know, if they make it that far, they're going to have to have a secretary of state. I thought, they're going to look around for somebody that's still at that same level of influence, somebody who's really working overtime to mold the hearts and the minds of our children. And I figured they were going to come up with our friend Miley Cyrus. Yeah, this is, this is the tension that we feel as parents. Culture pushing in, trying to define for them what the values should be. This is nothing new for us. In fact, almost, almost 4,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was going to be facing the same thing. Uh, at that time, the nation of Israel had just been released from slavery. They had been held captive in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so God had said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to put you over into a place that I'm going to call the promised land. And in the promised land, it's going to be overflowing with milk and with honey. And that's God's way of saying, I'm going to give you abundance. I'm going to bless your socks off. This is going to be fantastic. But before he moved them over into the promised land, he stopped them all, and he had Moses speaking on his behalf. And what Moses was going to do is he was going to issue a warning from God. God was concerned about this one thing. He knew that when they stepped over into the promised land and they experienced an abundant blessing, he knew at that moment that he was going to be in competition for their hearts. He was going to be competing for their affections. About, and what he was going to be competing with is the gifts that God was about to give them. He knew at that moment that the, the temptation is that they were going to fall in love with the gift and they would forget the giver. And so as they're getting ready to step into this promised land, Speaking through Moses, here's what, here's what God says to them. He says, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things, all good stuff that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and you're full, he said, here comes the warning. He says, then take care. Why? Here's what's looming. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You see, what God was saying, of course, was that here's the temptation, I've blessed you, and so now the tendency is going to be for you, you're going to forget me. And so Moses, what he did is he sets up, before he speaks to them, he sets a foundation for them. What he's going to do, he's going to speak something to them that's going to speak from generation to generation to generation. It's going to speak about who they are as a people. And in Deuteronomy 6, verse, verse 4, here's what he says. He starts out this whole thing that he's going to be telling them. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, nobody jumped up. Nobody shouted when I said that. Nobody's doing backflips. But let me tell you this. For the nation of Israel, if you said this to a Jewish person then, you know what they were doing? They were going, yeah. That's who we are. That's our DNA. 
We have passed that on from generation to generation to generation. This speaks about our identity before God. And what it would say to them is this. It would say, God is God, we're not, and he needs to be the priority in our life. And they passed that on from father to son, from father to son, and on and on. And it always spoke about the priority that God was to hold in their lives. And so that's the first thing that we need to do as parents. And when I think about parenting, when I think about our influence in Jordan's life, I look back and I go, you know what? If Jordan doesn't say anything else about us as parents except that when he thinks about Andrea and I, that he knows without a shadow of a doubt that God was always number one. He was a priority in our lives, in our marriage, and in our homes. And according to God, through Moses, he was saying that's got to be the first place for us as a parent. That's the legacy that we wanted to pass off to him, hoping that he would take that and pass that to the next generation and to the next generation and on and on. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong if we're going to be passing on as parents. We ask ourselves, what are we passing on? And if it's if it's great wealth, if it's businesses and it's, and it's, it's cars and it's properties and it's um, maybe coins and silver and gold, all of those things that we've worked hard and invested to get that we want to pass on, absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, I just want you to know that even though I'm 60 years old, if you're going to do that, I'm up for adoption. <laughs> but that's the second best. And so that's what we want to do. A great parent's going to do this. They're going to realize that the priority for us is making sure that our children understand that God needs to be at the center of their lives. And so the second thing that a great parent's going to do is a great parent then would focus on the heart and not the behavior. A great parent's going to focus on that heart and not the behavior. It didn't take me very long uh, when I stepped into parenting that I found out that one of the things that I didn't like was to have my authority challenged by a little person. And so you know, it was inevitable, wasn't it, if, at, that eventually we were going to have a clash of wills. As parents, what's our will for our children? That they would obey. And as a child, what's their will? That they would not obey. Yeah. Why? Because that's the way they came into this world. That's the nature they were born with. We all want to be independent and not have to answer to a higher authority. That's, that's who we are. And so you kind of see this from the moment that a child comes into the, into the world. That's what you start to see. I, I get a kick. I've, I uh, saw a, uh, some parents with, with small toddlers. Right when they start to kind of just waddle around or they just kind of toddle around. And, and when, just when they can walk, and we're standing out by a sidewalk. And the parents are watching them. But when that child starts to get close to the traffic, the parent moves towards the child to grab them. Well, the child is so independent that when they see that parent reaching for them, what do they do? Yeah. With the battle cry of Patrick Henry who shouted, give me liberty or give me death, they charge right out into traffic. Independence and freedom at any cost. We see that. You know, one of the first words that a child learns between, uh, besides mama and dada is what? Yeah, that's it. No. So when you tell them, hey, come over here. No. Don't touch that. No. Pick that up, no. Put that down, no. That's just ingrained in them. And so you understand that that is just, that's the tension that we see. Well, here's what we experienced in our house when I started parenting. What I found that worked really well for us is that I allowed Andrea to be, we decided on her being the disciplinarian. So she kind of managed Jordan on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, when he goes to bed, when he does his homework, how he cleans his room, all of those things. And I wound up being the enforcer. And so I would lay back until they called for the enforcer. And what, would, and what would happen is that Jordan wasn't rebellious, so he wouldn't come right out and say no. Instead, Jordan was a great debater and negotiator. I don't know, you guys ever have kids like that? They're just great. Sometimes you wonder as a parent, I used to say, hey, get up and go check his bed tonight because I swear he's got to be getting up and going to night school to get his law degree. I mean, just the way he argues, and they're just great at it. That's what teenagers are great at doing. Well, I would listen to this go on, and then I would get frustrated, and then I would start to get angry, and then I would come in, and I'd stomp down the hallway, come into the room, and I would do what my dad used to do to us as kids, and I would drop the dad bomb on him. I would step in there and go, because your mom said so. <laughs> and so through that, that intimidation and that subtle threat of physical force, what would happen is he would obey immediately. And I thought, this works. And so what happened is that became my default. 
I, I just turned to that and I found what I wanted more than anything else is I wanted him to obey. And so that's what I would do. Well, we did that for a couple years and I realized, you know, this just isn't working. It just feels like there's just this tension between him and I and it feels like there's a distance between him and I. And I thought there's gotta be a different way of parenting. I'm just not getting it. And a friend of mine suggested that I read this book. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. We have this in our bookstore. And so I spent some time, I read through it, and when I finished reading this book, I realized that I had been failing as a parent. One of the things that Moses had told the nation of Israel as they were getting ready to go in and experience this abundant blessing, he said this to them. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. What I was doing is I was failing to introduce this, this philosophy and this idea into our parent-child relationship. It wasn't working. And so I knew I had to do something different. So the next time that there was an event that took place, instead of me doing my normal, I went into the room, I looked at Jordan, and I said, hey, Jordan, go get your Bible. He looked at me like, what are you going to do? beat me with it <laughs> and I thought I don't know we'll see how this goes first <laughs> he got his bible what we did is we went down and we met at the kitchen table we sat down at the kitchen table and all I did is I said hey Jordan let's do this I'm going to ask you to open up your bible and if you would turn to 2nd Corinthians 5 9 and 10. 2nd Corinthians 5 9 and 10 says this it says so whether we at home meaning here or we're away, we're in the presence of the Lord, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's been good or evil. And so all I did is I just explained this verse to Jordan. I said, you know, Jordan, this is, this is like my life verse. This is the verse that I use to, to filter and evaluate every choice and every decision that I make in life. So when it comes to just being a man, I use this to ask myself, is the choices that I'm making, is this pleasing to God? That's my aim. I want to please God. Am I being pleasing to God? In the issue of being a husband, am I, doing, am I being a husband, the kind of husband that I could look at God and I would say, what I'm doing is pleasing you, God? And I said, and in the area of being a parent, I have to do the same thing. I want to be a parent that's going to please God. And so for you, Jordan, what this means is the same thing. We got to filter your decisions and your actions through this verse. Because someday you're going to stand before God and give an account of the kind of son you were. And so I want to help prepare you for that day. And so there's two choices on the shelf. There's either pleasing God or there's pleasing self. And so why don't we take a moment, let's just look and see if the Bible speaks to this issue of being a parent and this issue of being a son. And so he said, okay, I'm with you, let's go. And so what I did is I had him turn to Proverbs 30, 17, and I read this verse to him. It said, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Then I jumped up and went, word of God in your face, mic drop, and I walked away. <laughs> I did not do that, <laughs> I promise you. If you could stand up here, if you could see some of the look on you, some of the mother's faces right now, they're like horrified. Some of the dads are going, I might try that, yeah. <laughs> Here's what we did, actually. I had him turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And what we did is we walked through this verse. It just says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The next verse says, honor your father and mother. In fact, this is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I said, Jordan, that's what I want. More than anything in my life, I want it to go well for you in life and I want you to live long in life. And then it says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so I said, hey, Jordan, here's the deal. When I read this, it's gonna help me to do parenting in a way that's pleasing to God. And I gotta do this, I gotta tell you this. First off, I've not been doing that. And so I've already gone before God and I've asked him to forgive me for the way I've been parenting. I've not been doing it in a way that's not provoked you to anger. So God's forgiven me. I'm going to ask you the same thing. 
would you forgive me for the way that I've been parenting you? So he kind of looked at me and said, okay. And I said, now here's the other thing. Let me ask you this. What's your responsibility then as a child? Mine is to help instruct you and to help discipline you. And I got to answer to God for that. What's your responsibility? And he said, well, my responsibility is to obey, obey my parents. I said, right, we're getting somewhere. I said, right, hey, and what's it called when you disobey your parents? Well, I'm disobeying God and, and I'm sinning. I said, yeah. And so we spent some time talking through that about the ramifications in his life about what sin does to your relationship with God. And so as we talked that through, I said, hey, George, listen, I don't want you to get it from this table today with there being anything at all between you and God. And so I want to take a moment. How about we do this? How about you go before God right now and ask him to forgive you for sinning against him and sinning against your mom for not obeying her? And so we did. He bowed his head. We prayed. When we finished, I said, okay, now what we need to do is let's get up. Let's walk. And let's go see your mom. And now you need to ask her to forgive you because you've sinned against her. What he learned in that moment is this. He saw that I was no longer making it personal between him and I. But instead, what I was doing is I was concerned, I was compassionate, I was showing him grace and mercy, and I was loving him because for him, my priority was to take him by the hand and introduce him into a relationship with God, to allow him to see himself from God's perspective in terms of his heart and his behavior. And so when he went to his mom and he asked her to forgive him, he learned what reconciliation looks like. And so Andrea, of course, forgave him. They cried. And then we lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> he was going into his teen years right then. And so we still had plenty of opportunities, though, where we were able to sit down at the table and I would say, hey, George, go get your Bible. And as he got older, I would go get my spear. And so <laughs> King Saul may, may have been on to something, I don't know. But that's, but that's what we did. That's how we worked, and that's how I concentrated instead. Instead of making it personal, I realized it has to be personal between him and God. And my responsibility as a parent then is to not be concentrating on the behavior, but I needed to be concentrating on the heart and moving him towards a relationship with God. The third thing that a great parent does then is this. A great parent would be growing in Christ. A great parent needs to be growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. When Moses was talking to the nation of Israel, here's what he said. He said this, he said, and these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, one of the responsibilities for us as parents is to do this. We need to be teaching our children we need to be explaining to them about the important things and the priority of God in our lives. But what Moses said that before that can happen, he said that we need to have these in our heart. They need to be buried in our heart. And so what he was saying is for us as parents, the number one priority means that we need to be modeling it for our children. We have to be living this thing out. And so if we want our children to be pursuing God, they, we got to be pursuing God. If we want our children to, to look at church and hold it as a priority in their lives, they need to see that from us. If you want them to be honest and be full of character and be forgiving, we're the ones who set the pace there. And here's the thing. If you want your child to love their spouse, then that's our responsibility. We also need to be loving our spouse. One of the greatest gifts you can give also is if that you happen to have gone through a divorce. And regardless of what happened in that divorce, if there is tension or whatever, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your child is this. You still respect that other parent. You still honor them for their position of being that child's parent. You can't expect your child to honor their parents unless they see that coming from you. So it's a great opportunity then for us to be able to display what grace and forgiveness and compassion look like. I had a great opportunity to see this play out. I had a great front seat to see this play out in somebody's life. A couple years ago, two years ago, I had somebody step into my life, a gentleman by the name of Brent Fisher. And Brent, when he stepped in, into my office, Brent was absolutely, his life was a mess. Um, Brent, had, Brent was uh, addicted to uh, prescription painkillers. And so, 
As I talked with Brent, I found out that because he had been stealing from his job to support his habit, he had lost an incredibly good and well-paying job. Then he was taking his daughter's clothes and he was selling those and pawning those off so that he could also get some money to continue to pay for his habit. Well, he got kicked out of his house. And so Brent wound up going, having to go down and stay at Wheeler Mission, having some conversations with him. He had an opportunity to meet a man down at Wheeler Mission who told Brent and convinced Brent that life with God is infinitely better than life without God. And so Brent made a decision to place his faith in Jesus Christ, and then he said, okay, I'm all in. Whatever God has for me, whatever he's got to offer, that's what I want. And so we started seeing Brent here on Saturday night and on Sundays. Brent started serving. Brent got baptized. Brent was also getting up. He joined a men's group on Wednesday night. He was going to his men's group. And then he was getting up every morning, and he was reading his one-year Bible. He was journaling. And so because of that, his family saw some changes starting to take place, and so they opened the door and allowed him to come back home. Well, as Brent was authentic before his family, he wasn't perfect but he's starting to live this out. Here's what happened. His 11-year-old daughter named Macy came to Brent and she said, hey, Daddy, would it be okay now if I started to go to church with you? And so Brent said, sure, hon. Why don't you just get up and we'll go to church on Sunday? A little bit later, as she's watching Brent's life, Macy comes to Brent and she says, hey, Daddy, would you start waking me up early in the morning before you go to work, before I go to school, so I can get up and read the Bible with you before I start my day. He said, yeah, absolutely, sweetheart. And then a little while after that, Macy came to Brent and she said, hey, Daddy, do you think it'd be okay if I trusted Jesus for my Savior the way that you have? And so Brent, because he didn't start off perfect, but Brent, because he understood what a legacy looked like, He understood what it meant to go for the heart of his child, and because he was living it out and growing in Christ, Brent had the opportunity to see his 11-year-old daughter's eternity changed. And so Brent then went on, and because he was baptized and he was serving, his daughter said, okay, Dad, that's the next step for me. I want to get baptized, and can I, is there a place for me to start serving with you also? Here's the thing. Regardless of how big of a failure we may have been as a parent, this is what redemption looks like from God's perspective. This is Brent with his family today. You know, parenting's hard, isn't it? But I realize this. It was the absolute most rewarding thing I've ever undertaken in my life. And you know, I thought when Jordan, he moved out when he was 18. And he's, uh, that was 12 years ago. And during that period of time, you know, I look back and I think, is there something, some things that I could have done as a, as a parent? Are there things that I could have said, conversations I should have had? Is there anything else that I could have done in his life? And, you know, I think sometimes as parents, that's what we wonder. We sometimes think, is this, is this, is there ever going to be this, this time when our children circle back with us and they tell us that we did make a difference, that the things that we did, they really, they really did have an impact. Well, I was sitting in my office a couple years ago, and while I'm sitting there, I get this text from George. He said, hey, I was just driving around, and I was thinking about you. I wanted to say thank you for being as much of a father to me as any father could possibly be. I also wanted to thank you for all that you have taught me. I hope that someday, when I get married, that I can love my wife and family as much as you love my mom and me. I love you. There's that little eight-year-old boy now. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of mind him now. (laughs) You know something? Parenting really is, it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. And so what I thought we would do right now is we wanted to carve out just some time in this service. Our team's going to play another song for us. And I just thought while, this, while they're playing, this would be a great opportunity for us as parents to step before God and just ask him, is there anything in our lives that he wants to reveal to us about parenting that he wants to change? Is there any area in our life that he wants us to start thinking differently about our relationship with him and our relationship with our children? 
And then spend that time talking with him. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to come back up here in just a minute and I'm going to close the service out.
You know, one of the verses that we just sang in that song says, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers that only you can provide. Maybe today that kind of describes somebody here. Maybe you've been looking for answers in different people, different places, doing different things. And at the end of that search, you have found out, I'm not coming up with the answers that I want. In fact, the journey that I've taken has really left me bankrupt emotionally, relationally, maybe financially, but without a doubt, you would say that you're bankrupt spiritually. And as we were singing that part of the song where we're saying he's a good, good father, that doesn't make any sense to you. You've never experienced God at that level. And just like I remember 25 years ago, and just like from Brent's story, I remember having that separation, feeling that distance from God. And the reason for that distance and that separation, the Bible describes it this way. It says that it's because of sin that has separated us from Him. And so we have to deal with the issue of sin. The distance you feel has been caused because there's been a break in that relationship. And so God being a, a good, good Father, what He did is He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth for 33 years. He was perfect in all that he did. And because of that, what they did is they beat him, they tortured him, they hung him on a cross where he died a horrific death. He died, they buried him for three days, and three days later, he arose from the grave, proving that he is the true and the living God. And by doing that, what Jesus Christ did is he paved the way, he made the way now for us to be able to step into a deep, and an intimate relationship with God the Father. No longer would our relationship then be described as being at enmity with Him, but now the Bible says that we're adopted. In fact, the Bible says that for those that received Him, for those that believed on His name, Jesus Christ, to them, God gave the right, gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. And so maybe you're here today and you're going, I've never done that. But I understand that's what I want to do today, Bill. I want to take that step. I want to experience God as a good, good father. What do I need to do? Well, in just one moment, I'm going to invite you to do what I did 25 years ago. That's just simply to go before God in prayer. To go before him and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to accept that free gift of salvation that you offer and then I want to step into your family. God, I want you to be my father. And I want to be your child. Now I want to live for you. And so if that's where you're at this morning, and you're saying, I want to take that step. I want to experience God at this level. It's what I've been waiting for. It's why I'm here today. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would everybody please just bow your heads. Would you close your eyes? And if that's where you're at today, and that's the step you would like to take, I'm just going to invite you to repeat this prayer that I'm about to say. There's nothing magic in the words. But instead, there's, right now, there's this intimate moment between you and God that's taken place. And so if you'll just say this, say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, not based on anything I've ever done, but God, based upon what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And today, I place my faith in Jesus. Today, God, I accept that free gift of salvation that you offer. Today, God, I want to be able to call you a good, good father, and I want to live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, the Bible says this. If you just prayed this, that prayer, the Bible says this, that there is actually a celebration that is taking place right now in the presence of angels over the prayer of one person who's turned to God. And so they're celebrating in heaven. So how about we celebrate right now for somebody who's prayed that? And if you just prayed that, here's what we want to do as a church. We would love, we would love to be able to place a gift in your hand. So today, before you leave, what we, what we want to do is we want to place a one-year Bible in your hand. It's broken, down, it's broken down the way Brent did it. He read it every day. It's broken down to make it easy for you to go through. And so here's what I found out when I became a Christian. The first thing I started doing is I started reading the Bible, and it made a tremendous difference in helping me to reshape my values and helping me to think differently about God and life. And so we want to place one of these in your hand. So as you leave today, if you prayed that, just stop at the back of the auditorium. We've got some team members back there. They're going to put one in your hand and explain how to use this. And so we're excited about the decision you made today. And then for everybody else, if you're a parent, I just want to ask you this. What would happen if tomorrow when you woke up, you made a decision that said, I'm going to examine my values. I'm going to examine the way I think about parenting. I'm going to take a look at what legacy I'm going to leave behind, how I've been focusing, how I need to focus on my child's heart, and even my own personal relationship with God. How have I been investing in that? What could happen? Well, generations upon generations upon generations could change. We have to realize here's what's at stake, and that's what's at stake. That's why we need to be that great parent. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you that we can come before, today, before you today and we can sing praises to you. And God, we can call you a good, good father. Thank you, God, for demonstrating to that, that to us on the cross, that Jesus came, that you loved us enough, that you sacrificed your own son. God, I'm praying for those that made a decision today, that, Father, they would experience you on that intimate level. Father, they'd be walking with you. And God, that they would impact generations and generations to come. Father, we love you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, you're dismissed. Thank you. We'll see you next week and bring a friend.